Well, good morning and welcome to our service. It's a beautiful day as I look outside through the glass doors and out through the front door. You see the beautiful sunshine, but you also see the frost on the ground. It's a lovely winter day and we thank God for the beauty of his creation as we gather at home or wherever you may be watching this service. There are one or two intimations. First of all, I want to commend something to you. Um, this week, Elizabeth and I watched a programme on BBC iPlayer. We had been recommended to watch it by Ron and Moya Hamilton, entitled Till Kingdom Come. Uh, it's a programme, a sort of 56, well, 60, 70 minute drama, or, or not drama, but documentary, looking at the whole issue of President Trump and the religious influence, especially from the conservative evangelical and fundamentalist right on America, and their whole understanding of God, of Israel, and of the role of America in that. Most insightful and helpful, this documentary, it's presented, produced very well from the Jewish perspective, as well as from the conservative evangelical, as I say, fundamentalist perspective of America. And so I would invite you, encourage you, to get onto iPlayer, most of us have that on our televisions, and to watch that Till Kingdom come. And then you'll have seen, if you get the emails from Helen Uwe, that on Thursday evening the men's group is meeting on Zoom, but I'm opening that up for folks on Thursday night, really following on from the video we saw last Sunday of the Reverend Dr. William Phillip, Minister of the Tron Church, speaking and sharing a wee bit about his and indeed many church leaders' concerns about the role of the state and the role of the church and the interaction of that. Then I'm going to really look at that, particularly within our own context. I'm standing in a building that was built in 1863 as a United Presbyterian Church. We are a congregation of the United Free Church. What does that mean nowadays? What does it mean to be a free church? A church that has respect for the state, but also is wary, perhaps sometimes, of the role of the state, particularly when it comes to matters of faith. So we're going to look a wee bit on Thursday evening, a wee bit of the history behind that, of the history of our own congregation and, and of the views that this particular brand of Presbyterianism had, but also how that relates to current issues, not just to do with COVID. We'll be glad to say we'll keep that in the back burner a wee bit, but bigger issues, the whole issues of how we should interact with those who are in power, the secular power. So if you're interested, then Helen has sent out the code number just to remind you that the password for the men's group on Thursday evening, you've got the number, but the password is men's group, capital M, E-N-S, and then capital G-R-O-U-P. No gap between men's group, a capital M for men's, and then right on to capital G for group. If you have any problems, to contact myself or Helen. That's Thursday evening at half past seven on Zoom. And as I say, it'll be nice to see not just men, but ladies if they wish to join us on Thursday night. We're still in the season of Epiphany. Um, some parts of the world are still in the spirit of Christmas. Having a look outside, it is quite festive looking with the white frost on the ground. And these verses from the book of Isaiah, verses that speak to us of the promise of the light that will come. And then we're going to look, just read these verses, a couple of these verses, and then look at verses from the book of Daniel as we come into God's presence in worship. Verses that tell us that God's light and God's presence comes amongst us. Arise and shine, for the light of the glory of God, the prophet says, has shone upon you. Arise and shine, for the light of the glory of God has shone upon you, the prophet says. And then Daniel says, Isaiah looked, 
Thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him, and thousands upon thousands attend him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. In the darkness of the world, the light of the glory of God has been revealed. The one who is the ancient of days. And we're going to follow a song, a modern hymn, on that theme. It's from Birmingham. It's from Alan Uy's church. I'm not sure on your own screens you'll be able to see him, but he does appear in this song, one of these ones where people sing individually, and it's all wonderfully brought together as a choral piece. The Ancient of Days. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you that as we gather this morning, we join with your church throughout our nation, indeed throughout our world. We think of Alan own church family in Birmingham and for the way that they have led us into your presence through that song, reminding us of the truth that we just glanced upon there in the book of Daniel, the one who is the ancient of days, enthroned in glory and light and majesty and power, the one before whom the nations will come the one who is constant through all the ages, who holds all the ages in his hand, and the one who is said, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon his people, and his glory shines upon them. And our prayer this morning, O God our Father, is that wherever your people gather, and however they gather, the glory of the one who is the ancient of days, revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, will be brought to us by the ministry of the Holy Spirit and will shine upon us, even in the times of darkness that covers not just the earth, but our own nation. And so help us for this time to lay aside whatever else may be going on in our lives. Those needful things and those things, frankly, that are pretty unimportant, but we value greatly. Enable us to lay aside these things. Still our hearts. Quieten our spirits. And speak, O God, through your word we pray. As we offer you the worship, not just of our lips, we can't even really do that unless we're singing along at home, but far more important, the worship of our lives, laid down before the one enthroned in glory, in might and in majesty and in power, holy in all his ways, we bow down and offer our lives as a thank offering to you through Jesus Christ, your Son and our only Savior. Amen. I received through the post this past week, just looking to see where I have it, but it's here underneath my Bible. 
I received an envelope, which is not unusual. You do get envelopes in the post. And when it appeared, I had, um, didn't have my name on it, just said to the, the resident or the, the, the person living in 25 Douglas Gardens. Um, but I thought, well, it's probably some circular, some kind of thing that's getting sent round, the usual kind of stuff you often get, especially at the moment. And when I opened it up, however, I found inside there was a magazine. And when I looked at the magazine right away, I could see who had sent it. It had been personally um, written on. It was a, a stamp and everything else. It wasn't sent out in a kind of official way. It was sent out by someone. Um, and it had written an address on it and put a stamp on it. And inside was a copy of the Watchtower announcing Jehovah's Kingdom. And underneath, what is God's kingdom? And now, hasten that, I'm not commending the Jehovah's Witnesses, but, uh, but I think it's quite apposite, I should have got it. I'm going to write, inside there was a, a, a handwritten letter from the Kingdom Hall in Hamilton, and it says this, Dear neighbour, I'm taking part in a worldwide preaching work to write letters and enclose them with the special magazine about God's kingdom. The contents of this special issue explain why Jesus asked his followers to pray for the kingdom to come, so that God's will could be done on earth as it is in heaven. The magazine quotes scriptures from the Bible that you can read for yourselves and see what it is, when it will come and the benefits it will bring to the earth. It is a wonderful hope for all of us, and right now will give us comfort from the scriptures and an insight of what will happen in the future. I hope this letter finds you and your family well. Many thanks, and I hope you will read the magazine and there's no name on the letter. Now, I'm sure many of us, perhaps others in the congregation, received this through the post this week. Whoever sent it has been busy sticking on stamps and writing letters. But um, I'm sure we've all had at various times Jehovah's Witnesses at the door, and I say I'm certainly not commending them. They don't believe in the uniqueness and divinity of Christ, apart from anything else, uh, and they are a cult, a sect. But nonetheless, nonetheless, one sometimes has to commend not just these groups, but other groups that claim to be Christian and go about knocking doors, sending out leaflets, and especially at a time like this, feel that there is a necessity to make known the message of God's kingdom. History tells us that it's often when the church fails to speak, when those who lead the church fail to bring God's word to bear into our times and into our setting, that other groups, fringe groups, sects and cults and other philosophies and indeed other religions take the public square and make their announcements heard. Not just by the old-fashioned way of the post through your letterbox, but nowadays on media and social media. There are a multitude of proclaimers of truth, so they say. They're all contending for their message to be heard. Indeed, this program I commended at the beginning, Till Kingdom Come, interesting enough, again, the connection there, um, shows how many people are taken by these particular messages and are convinced about a particular understanding of the kingdom and of how that will be ushered in. Um, whether it's some kingdom on earth that really the Jehovah's Witnesses hold to, or whether it's heralding the Third World War and Armageddon. Whatever the case may be, where the church, the church of Jesus Christ, where its leaders fail to speak clearly and positively and affirm the truth of God's word, there's always other people waiting to speak. Jesus made that clear that there would be those who would jump up in the latter days and speak about here is the Messiah or there is the Messiah or make all sorts of statements and how as God's people we are to be aware of that, wary of that, and also more able to contend with that. 
Well, this morning, interestingly, of the magazine, the Watchtower magazine, um, draws our attention, actually, to what we're looking at in the book of the prophet Ezekiel. Because, actually, it's Ezekiel, it's that idea of the Watchtower and the Watchman, actually comes from the book of the prophet Ezekiel. So, if you have your Bibles, and you certainly will need them if you're going to follow the story, if you have your Bibles, then you can open up to chapters 1. We're going to look very briefly and very generally at these opening chapters. But chapter 3 in the book of Ezekiel in verse 16, we read at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. Son of man, Ezekiel was told, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. Not the Watchtower magazine, but to be a watchman for the Lord or a watchwoman for the Lord and to bring God's word. Well, this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to look at what that meant, not just for Ezekiel, but what I would suggest it means for God's people and God's church today. But we're going to go back to chapter one and we're going to read together from chapter one. We're going to read a section and then reflect upon it and then move on to another section. It's quite a lengthy section, so I'm going to take a wee glass of water before I read it together. Let's hear God's word. Ezekiel chapter 1, and reading from verse 1. In my thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Keber River, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzai, by the Keber River in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was on him. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The scent of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their faces white like those of a calf, and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another, and each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being. And on the right side, each had the face of a lion. On the left, the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. They each had two wings spreading out upward, each wing touching that of the creature on either side, and each had two other wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like topaz and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel bit like a sort of gyroscope. And as they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions. The creatures faced. The wheels did not change direction as the creatures went. The rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. 
And when the living creatures moved, the wheels beside them moved. And when the living creatures rose from the ground, the wheels also rose. Wherever the Spirit would go, they would go, and the wheels would rise along with them, because the Spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. When the creatures moved, they also moved. When the creatures stood still, they also stood still. And when the creatures rose from the ground, the wheels rose along with them, because the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked like something like a vault, sparkling like crystal and awesome. Under the vault, their wings were stretched out, one to another, and each had two wings covering its body. When the creatures creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings, like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of the army. And when they stood still, they lowered their wings. Then there came a voice from above the vault over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli, and high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. Well, we do indeed need the help of the Spirit to understand the Word. I'm old enough Um, And from a generation when I remember the popularity of a whole series of books from the late 70s into the 1980s, although he's written books into the 2000s, by an author named Erich von Daniken. I don't know whether Helen, who is on duty today, I don't know whether Helen remembers that name or not. Gregor certainly probably won't. But he wrote a whole series of books from the late 70s, as I say, into the early 2000s. The Chariots of the Gods was the most well-known, but the Golds of the Gods and a whole series of things. And he argued, both from archaeological evidence from ancient manuscripts from the Babylonian Empire, from the great Inca empires of South America, and everything else, and from the Bible, that actually we had been visited by aliens from outer space in um, various forms of spacecraft. Uh, And indeed, this passage from the book of Ezekiel was one of the passages that he used to argue that we had been visited by flying saucers. And of course, he described the wheels and all the rest of it in the description of that. Some of you may have been desperate last night and stuck for something to watch. And so maybe you watched Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull um, set in Ecuador, one of the states of South America. And again, this idea of having been visited by ancient powers and, and and having you know, ancient peoples having written that down or recorded that or have evidence of that. Now, of course, he's been debunked by plenty of people, not necessarily Christian people, although obviously they have as well, but people who are scientists, who are archaeologists, paleontologists, and all the rest of have debunked his very weak arguments. But nonetheless, as I read, especially that bit to do with the wheels and the faces and everything else, one could think, well, what is he talking about? What is Ezekiel talking about? Well, of course, the truth of the matter is that Ezekiel here, Daniel, 
in the passage we just made reference to before we heard their opening song, Ancient of Days, and John in the book of Revelation is trying to describe the indescribable. He's trying to understand and to make sense with his limited brain. And the truth of the matter is, however wonderful our brains are, they are limited. He's trying to make sense of what in many ways is beyond comprehension. We're going to have at the vital him, immortal, invisible, God only wise. Here is Ezekiel, here is a mortal man trying to comprehend the one who is immortal and invisible. And so in this, and I'm not going to overly dwell on the vision, we could get bogged down on that very easily, but he's trying to describe it in things to understand. So he describes it right at the beginning of an immense cloud. He would have been well aware, living in the plains of Babylon, of these clouds and these storms that could come over and, and, and bring forth rain and destruction. He describes that. He describes creatures that in their appearance were human, but they had faces and wings. Now again, as someone in exile, interesting enough, he had had to come from Jerusalem in order to encounter that type of imagery. Because of course, while Israel had no image of the unknowable God in a sense, they weren't allowed, that was idolatry, and they weren't allowed to do that and didn't have that within the temple. All the nations round about had their images of their gods, the gods of Baal, the gods of Babylon, and the gods of Babylon were human beings deified, made different, given, given descriptions of and are attributes to which were beyond the normal human being, basically deifying of humanity. And there would be plenty of images that Ezekiel would have seen while in Babylon. And so what he describes, in a sense, draws from what he sees in his contemporary setting. That also includes the wheels, although people cannot really understand what he's saying. Many scholars have looked at that. The gyroscope is probably the best way to try to describe these wheels. Certainly the concept of the chariot was something that was seen as a sign of the deity in action, in power, and in work. And when it comes to the faces, I'm actually simply going to read to you the little commentary on that, rather than me trying to describe it. These, this being, these angelic beings with faces, each of the four, verse 10, had the face of a human being on the right side, each had the face of a lion, on the left the face of an ox or a bull, each also had the face of an eagle. Let me just read to you the commentary, but the best way to do it, rather than me waffling on, the lion was renowned for his strength, ferocity, and courage, and served as a symbol of royalty. The eagle was the swiftest and most stately of birds. The ox or the bull was not only the most valuable domestic animal, but also functioned as a symbol of both fertility and divinity. The bull, the calf that's in the temples of Karnak in ancient Egypt, for instance. The human being, created as the image of God and invested with divine majesty, is the most dignified and noble of all. But the significance of these creatures exceeds the sum of the parts. In the absence of abstract philosophical tools, these images expressed the transcendent divine attributes of the one who is an omnipotent and omniscience. Now, it means all-powerful and everywhere. I can never pronounce those words. My apologies. Carrying the divine throne, the four-headed cherubim declare that Yahweh has the strength and majesty of the lion, 
the swiftness and the mobility of the eagle, the procreative power of the bull, and the wisdom and the reason of humankind. The four-headed cherubim declare that Yahweh, the Almighty God, has the strength and majesty of the lion, the swiftness and mobility of the eagle, the procreative power of the bull, and the wisdom and reason of humankind. And when it describes things moving but not moving, and all the rest of it, and that's what it does, it simply is trying to describe the fact that God, the eternal God, is always known, is always present, but is also always on the move. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Lineal time, lineal expressions of how things are mean nothing to the transcendent or powerful all-knowing, eternal being, the one who is the Ancient of Days. And these angels, these four great angels, of course, that reminds us of what John saw in the book of Revelation. We made reference to that the other week. Revelation 4, after this I looked, John says, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. The one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne, and surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated them were twenty-four elders. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder, and front of the throne seven lamps were ablaze, and in the centre around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. And the front first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying e eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around and under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And please, when you go on later, do read again that chapter from Revelation 4. It's amazing, isn't it, anyway? How the Bible, Ezekiel, Daniel, John, these visions trying to describe the one who is immortal and invisible, the God only wise. And before we go any further this morning, and we always say this Sunday, next Sunday, we're going to look at the call of Ezekiel to be that watchman. But before we go any further this morning, we need to pause. Interesting, it did say that after he had seen this vision. This was the appearance. And notice what Ezekiel is quite clearly saying. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. A bit like when Moses hid in the cleft of the rock. Because uh, he'd asked to see God. And God said, well, it's impossible to see me face to face. But if you hide in the cleft of the rock, I will pass by. And you will catch a glimpse, in a sense, from my back of my glory. And Moses did that. So it is impossible for any of us to stand before the eternal God. We'd be consumed by fire. We'd be destroyed. He is holy. 
He is eternal. He is everything that we are not. We, are, we might deify ourselves as the ancient Babylonians did and fit ourselves with wings and give ourselves different appearance and ride mighty chariots. And you can take that and you can apply that to the 21st century edification and deification of humanity. We only need to remember that a little virus has brought everything to stop us, to remind us of how uneternal, of how unall-knowing, of how unall-wise we really are. We are mere mortals, like the flowers of the field. We're here for a season and then passed away. From dust we come and from dust we return. But the Lord endures forever and is before that God, that indescribable God that we can gather only because he has revealed, as Paul tells us in Colossians, the glory and majesty of himself and the mercy and grace of himself in his Son, Jesus Christ, the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Now, my friends, we don't have visions very often of God in the way that Ezekiel or John or Daniel did. Perhaps sometimes that's one of the sad reasons why this sanctuary is empty. And why we cannot gather together in corporate worship. That's why it's such a serious matter. And why we do need to think about these issues. And as I say in Thursday night, look at the bigger story behind all of this. And not just allow COVID to determine or dominate our thinking. Because it's when God's people, the congregation, literally those who congregate together. In the spirit, when Jesus has promised he would be there, in his spirit, in his midst, it's when we come together that, at times, I certainly have identified, I think Helen would say the same, I trust Gregor would be able to say the same, that curtain, but like the curtain in the, the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the outer courts, that curtain opens up that door into heaven it opens a jar and as we hear God's word as we sing God's praises as we're ministered to by the spirit then yes even as through a glass darkly we perceive something of the majesty and glory of the eternal God and words cannot describe And no mind can contain. And no tongue can truly tell of who he is. Father, Son, and Spirit. Because notice we read that above that throne was a figure like that of a man. And I saw that from, that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like a glowing metal, as if full of fire. And from there he looked and from there down he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him. The Ancient of Days that the book of Daniel speaks about. And again in the book of Revelation, this time from the beginning of Revelation, where John has this encounter with Jesus. I turned around, Revelation 1, to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Again, that theme running through the whole of Scripture. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash round his chest. 
The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now, look, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. What an image of the Godhead. What an image of the Godhead, the Father, the eternal Father, the creator of heaven is on the throne, and the one that looked like the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man, standing on that vault above the heavens, with a throne of lapis lazuli, and one that looked like glowing metal. This is Jesus, the babe of Bethlehem, the healer of the sick, the one who raised Lazarus from the grave, the one who wept over Jerusalem, the one whose body was whipped and who wore that crown of thorns and was nailed to that cross. This is the eternal Son of God, Son of Man, the right hand of the Father who will come again to judge the living and the dead. No wonder Ezekiel falls down. And can I say I trust in our own hearts this morning that we too, perhaps metaphorically, but we too bow the knee as we worship that God. And then just as we move on, chapter 2 and verse 1, he said to me, son of man, stand up on your feet. And I will speak to you. And as he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And he said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you, and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them, though they are rebellious people. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Then I looked and saw a hand stretched out to me, and then it was a scroll which he unrolled before me, and both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you, eat this scroll, then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. And then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I am giving you, and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it. And it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. And we're going to pause there and look at the rest next Sunday.
You see, my friends, one of the wonders, but probably the greatest wonder that stands at the heart of the Christian faith is that God is God, and we've thought about that, and in some very poor and small way dwelt our thoughts about that over these last minutes, but is also a God who reaches out his hand. Just this other week when we were looking at the devotionals and the prayer guide, can I commend the prayer guide to you? And Jesus walking out to the disciples in the boat in the middle of the night, in the middle of the storm. And Peter sees the Lord, and after getting over his fear that he was a ghost, he says, Lord, call me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out the boat. And while he focuses upon Jesus, he can walk on the water. But of course, as he starts thinking to himself, Flip, what am I doing? Why am I out here? And I'm standing on top of water. And all the very understandable human thoughts of fear and concern come upon him. And he begins to sink. And what does Jesus do? Does he say, ha, 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 serves you right? No. He reaches out his hand. And at the heart of Christianity is not an abstract deity, but almighty God who reaches out his hand. And he does so by the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. That's where the Jehovah's Witnesses would have major problems. The Trinity is seen in this story. He spoke, and the Spirit, capital S, came into me and raised me to my feet. It's the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that moved over the waters at the dawn of creation. It's the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's the same Holy Spirit that comes from the eternal Father. And Jesus, remember, said he would go and ask the Father, and the Father would send the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that takes from Jesus and makes him known to us. And he is the one who comes and raises us up and puts a new song in our heart song of praise to our God. And it's the Spirit of God that takes the Word of God and nourishes and feeds our souls. And notice, as I say, next Sunday we'll expand on that a lot more, but just as we draw to a close, notice he's given this scroll to eat, and he does so, and he finds that it's as sweet as honey. That surely, hopefully, will remind us of these verses from the Psalms. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. And again, as we close, from the book of Revelation, the interaction between all these parts of Scripture from Revelation chapter 10, I think, hopefully. And there they're given a scroll. And I'm not sure. Oh, here we are. Yes, they are. And we read in Revelation chapter 10 that again, John metaphorically, allegorically speaking, is invited to take the scroll, verse 8, that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. 
So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it, eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, language, and kings. It's a sweet word, but it has a bitter point. How would you describe the Western world? How would you describe our own country? What words could be used to describe our culture and way of thinking? Well, perhaps many could, but one of the words, the word that came to my mind is we're a culture that consumes. We take in. We eat more than we should. We use up more of the world's resources than we should. Consumption is at the very heart of Western culture. That's how our economy keeps going. And regardless of what effect it has on creation and nature, or indeed what effect it has on the majority of people living in the world, we consume so much that is bad for us, or in excess of that which may in itself be good for us. But one other part of Western culture is that we do not consume the Word of God. Do you read the Bible yourself? Do you feast on the things of God? That's how we can answer. That's the only way you're going to be answer the Jehovah's Witnesses when they come to the door. That's the only way you're really going to be able to answer some of the big issues that we're facing in our society today. We're only going to be able to do that as our minds are renewed, as our spirits are transformed, and as we take in that which tastes sweet in the mouth, even although it will carry with it a bitter point in so many ways. Do not be like the rebellious people, Ezekiel was told. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And that's not just, if we only had one meal once a week on a Sunday morning, that would hardly keep us going. And if all that we consume of the word of God is what I say over these last 35 minutes or whenever it is as we finish, that will not keep you going. The whole counsel of God, the whole breadth of scripture, the whole story of who God is and of what he's revealed himself from Genesis to Revelation, all of that needs to be brought together. It's a lifelong learning. Long before that phrase became popular in contemporary society, it should have been true and should be true of the people of God. The massive, mighty God that is who reaches out his hand and gives us his word to feast, taste, and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who makes God his refuge. And my friends, unless we find in that eternal God our refuge, then when we stand before him in all his might and majesty at the end of time, there will not be the word of welcome, but the roar of judgment that we will hear. Consume the word of God. Let it feed and nourish your soul and give you point to life. And next Sunday, we'll see what that meant for Ezekiel. Let's hear the praises of God's people as we hear the hymn, Immortal, Invisible, God only wise.
Let's pray together. Immortal, invisible, God-only wise, in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes, most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. God, our Father, we can't even begin to really take in what Ezekiel or Daniel or John or others, Isaiah or others saw in the record of Scripture, or indeed people of faith down through the ages, often as they've lived in the most dire circumstances, in exile, far removed from where they would wish to be or where they would want to be, and yet in your might and majesty, but also in your grace and mercy, you have revealed yourself in the prison cell in the refugee camp, in the home and house of horror, in the place of destitution, amidst the barren landscape of life's broken. We've seen something of the majesty of who you are. And our souls have been stirred and we have said how great Thou art. We confess, O God, that for many of us, we are so much consumed of this world, and not just materially and physically consumed, but the mindset, the philosophies, the deification of humanity, of all these things. We so much consume of these things that we have little appetite for you. Forgive us, our sins for they are many create within us a contrite heart Grant us a fresh appetite for the things of God. And by your Holy Spirit, lift us up. Put our feet afresh on the rock and a new song of praise in our mouth. As we pray that for ourselves, we do so not for our own selfish benefit or for the selfish benefit of your church and our nation. But so that in these critical days, and I don't just mean this particular Sunday in January in 2021, but in these days of critical crisis that are unfolding round about us, and will lead on into these coming months and years that lie ahead. So raise up your people and your church, O God our Father, that we might be like the watchmen and women in the tower, bringing a word of warning and also a word of hope to your people, 
and to those who seek you out. And so continue by your spirit to take your word. I'm the first Lord. I can't even pronounce half the words sometimes that we're, we have to use in these very deep things. Thank you, Lord. It's not my words. It's your word that's important. Take your word by your spirit. And feed our faith. And nourish our souls, we pray. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the essential inworking of the Holy Spirit be known within us and amongst us this day and forevermore. Amen.